Welcome to episode seven of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest has extensive international experience and has worked for more than 20 years to improve nonprofit performance. She has served in an executive leadership capacity for several organizations, including as interim executive director of the Boston Center for Community and Justice, where she executed an historic program merger with YWCA Boston. She was also executive director of the Courageous Sailing Center of Boston and founding executive director of United Way Moscow, where she resided for eight years. Her corporate experience includes institutional equity sales at Brunswick UBS Warburg and Pioneer Securities, and running a sales department as vice president of the Center for Business Skills Development, all of which were located in Moscow. She has also served as a volunteer on the boards of several organizations, including United Way Moscow, the International Center for Not-for-Profit Law, the Brattle Film Foundation, and the Boston Center for Community and Justice. She currently is on the board of Mass Equality. In May 2014, she became president and CEO of World Boston, an essential convener on international topics affecting Boston and the world since 1949. Please join me in welcoming Mary Eintema. Thanks, Robbie. I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, I was wondering if you could share with us, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I think that I can, I can answer part of that question more easily than uh, another part. But um, so what, what leadership means, you know, we all know uh, different definitions, but uh, one that I like is something along the lines of helping people achieve shared goals. Um, and I, I think that's a good one for a number of reasons. You can't be a leader alone. Um, there, there has to be other people in the picture. Something else I want to mention about the development, I think that it's also important to, um, for me anyway, to understand some things that leadership uh, is not, and that not all situations call for leadership. Um, I think that many situations call for participation, which is different, um, and that many situations call for um, what I sort of think of as accompaniment or, or witnessing, um, and, and to know, uh, which situations call for what, um, is, uh, something to be desired and, uh, to be worked on, at least in my case. It's a really interesting way to parse this out. I don't think anyone I've spoken to has sort of shared that, but you're right. Knowing when to step in as leader, when, to participate and support what's going on. Um, it makes me think of too many cooks in a kitchen. That's not helpful. And that sometimes stepping back and making space is, is actually is maybe a form of leadership is allowing others to, to take on uh, those reins and having a shared vision that you're working to uh, accomplish something together. Um, how right. does that play out in the work that you've done in the past? You know, do you have any examples of, of different ways that you've seen leadership or that you've admired? A big one for me that I am always working on is 
waiting to see if uh, the thing that needs to be said gets said. Um, I tend to speak first. Um, language is, is, my, is my medium. And um, it can be uh, very tempting for me to ju just jump in and say, I think it's this way. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily get you to that uh, shared goal part um, in the most effective way. So I see. So you actually try to, you know, you have that idea in your head, you know, about how you might move forward. But you're waiting to see whether that will naturally sort of come into the conversation from someone else. And then you'll be the, yeah, me too voice, as opposed to this is what we should do voice. That, well, I think it's, it's, it's very helpful to be able to do that. That's a consciousness that um, I think many people probably don't have. Where, where did you first think to, you know, refrain a little bit and take, take a step back? You, um, like you said, language is, is your, your tool. Um, when did you realize, oh, maybe I should kind of, you know, hold back a little bit? I'm not sure specifically, but um, I am thinking in particular of one boss who, um, who, who was a great boss, and he was very good at doing that. Um, he was, and I imagine it was something that he, he learned as well because he was a, a person of extremely strong opinions <laughs> um, and, and also very uh, dynamic and charismatic. But uh, he was uh, very good in, in meetings at letting the, the team um, kind of run free for, for long, long times. And, uh, I remember when we initially started working together, I would sort of think like, why are we doing this? Let's go. Can we get this thing done? But, um, and that was actually, that was, that was actually in, in, in Moscow. And I think that's, um, particularly important in a cross-cultural context, um, to, um, to really work on, you know, on that end of the spectrum of the, the shared goals thing, because it is so easy when you're dealing with uh, multiple cultures for people to misunderstand each other and to, um, to understand um, messages that um, are not necessarily being sent. Well, as I said in so, your intro, you've taken on quite a few different executive leadership roles and you've stepped in <laughs> to, yes. to many of them um, probably um, because there, there was a void, uh, and some you sought and, um, you know, was there a trajectory in your, in your professional path or did you sort of see opportunities and, and go for them? Yes, to both. Um, I certainly wanted to, uh, very much, uh, to work in Russia. So, uh, that was something I, I pursued pretty doggedly. And initially it was quite difficult to do because, um, you know, we're going back, many years now, but, um, it wasn't like you could just get on a plane and, uh, go to Russia. I mean, we're going back to, um, you know, when I was a student, um, the Soviet Union still existed. So, um, we didn't have trade relations with the Soviet Union. So that was something that I really had to, uh, pursue and be patient about for a long time. And then when I, uh, did start actually working in Russia, uh, it was right at the very beginning, actually it's just prior to the collapse of communism in 1990. Uh, so that took a lot of piecing together and, and, and patience. Um, oh, uh, just, uh, just heady. Very, very exciting. Very, very, very exciting. Um, and, uh, so that, that, 
that was one that I really pursued. Some other things have just kind of come up and knocked on my door. Um, one of the decisions that I made uh, along the line was that it's important to me to be a professional manager. And so I might have headed down a more specialized or academic route, but I decided to get an MBA uh, specifically because I wanted to, um, you know, know how to drive a, te- a desk. Um, I, I jokingly refer to myself as a nonprofit mechanic in honor of our uh, late, very great Mayor Menino, who called himself a, an urban mechanic. Um, I, I like I, I like the idea of being able to run different kinds of organizations, and um, I, I do that be at this stage, uh, primarily because um, somebody thinks I know how to run things, not uh, primarily because I have an expertise in the subject. So I like to talk about when I was running this um, youth sailing center. Um, I I mean, I sail a little bit, but there were many, many far more expert sailors on staff than than I, um, literally world-class. I took that job um, having turned down a job to run an orchestra. <laughs> so, um, and, right. So, and you know, it, it wasn't about the subject matter expertise. expertise. Yeah. Transferable skills. I mean, clearly you've, you've built up a toolbox. Um, you know, as you said, you know, you can approach this as a mechanic and you have these tools and you know how things, you know how organizations run. And in fact, my connection to you is sort of loosely, but it's through lead Boston and so I'm just right. finishing up my, my year there with them. And, uh, and I know you I have hope, a close connection. It. I, I do. And that's a case where it's something I want to say is sometimes, you know, the skills and, and the mission or the, the subject, if you, if you will, um, really intersect. And that's, that's a thrill. And that was um, the case for me with um, the, the organization that ran Lead Boston. And that's the case with, with my current job uh, uh, running World Boston. Uh, so yeah, the connection is that um, I too uh, um, did lead Boston. I was class of 2007 and it just, it, it changed my world. Um, it was both exactly what I was looking for and uh, much that I had not even thought about at the same time. And uh, over time I got involved in um, uh, lead Boston alumni work as a volunteer and then an advisory council and then uh, ultimately, I joined the board of the organization that at that time ran Lead Boston, the Boston Center for Community and Justice. And um, that was a case where uh, it kind of knocked on my door. There was a, a lot of executive change going on, and the board asked me to uh, step down from the board and, um, and uh, take over as um, interim executive director. Um, and so I was really thrilled to do that. It was, it was a difficult, um, job because ultimately what we had to do was sort of have the courage to close the place so that the programs could, um, live on, um, under the aegis of another organization, which in this case is, um, as you know, is YWCA Boston. Which you had to Uh, orchestrate. I mean, that is... So you had there was two programs that moved there that were both wonderful, right. and I actually yes, know and, folks, and still are They're yeah, still and going. still are yeah. long history. Yep. I mean, I think uh, yep. Lead Boston celebrating twenty five years next year, which yeah. is remarkable, yeah. really remarkable. And and, I know there's a youth program and, now called In It. 
Well, right, and in it is actually even even older. Um, it's uh, it was originally called Any Town, and it was a program of um, well, the national organization uh, NCCJ, and um, I think it was started, you know, even even before that. So, yeah, so you know, there was it was really quite a job because um, first we were looking at at various alternatives, and these things have to happen very very quickly because. Um, you only have so much cash before <laughs> before the lights get turned off, um, and so we were looking for alternatives. We figured that uh, try that. Now we really have to essentially move the programs elsewhere. So there was a very very considered yet very rapid process of looking at various organizations, and we did you know we sort of entertained or not sort of we did entertain kids if you will, um, and. Um, did uh, technically it was a merger with uh, uh, no I'm sorry actually technically it was uh, a sale very interestingly uh, to YWCA Boston a sale for no money but there was a bill of sale well I wanted to thank uh, you as as someone who's (laughs) going through the program after all of that happened that sounds like a very challenging time in your career um, with a personal investment and, and taking your professional skills but you know the classes that have continued on after that it's it's an amazing program, and um, and I've I've mentioned on this program before that this podcast is actually my leadership commitment was to launch oh, that's right. a yeah. podcast, yeah. and so I yeah. am starting Great. by interviewing a number of the alum, and I'm reaching out to other networks and people I know around the country. Um, right, but I love the idea of sort of focusing on leadership, and that's um, really the the reason it, it came to me was thinking about the people I met through this program. So yeah, there you go, and 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 there are there are literally hundreds more. Um, who you'll continue to meet as as an alumnus, um, but you know it, a, a transition like that is very interesting because you get um, you have to uh, work on many different levels at once, and I guess that is a, uh, an example in a sense of you know situational leadership. There was a lot of analysis, a lot of sort of intellectual work that had to be done. Equally important um, was uh, working with the team and. And keeping people motivated during a time of, of intense uncertainty, um, and uh, well, different teams. I mean, there, were, there was the staff, and then there was the board, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and alumni, yep, alumni, yes, they were they were definitely uh, part of the uh, part of the mix. Yes, yes, we had some feelings too. So I'm I'm so glad that we're having this conversation now because um, you know I guess it was was worth it. I mean, so, that's a sign right. of success. You're able to say you've now stepped back from this organization. It's still flourishing and, uh, and you helped sort of, you know, make that handoff successful. One of many dozens of people who were involved in that. I don't want to say that it was just me, but um, it was it was it, it, it was a team effort. It was a, it was, as I say, it was kind of a tough job. But um, even when we were literally closing the place down, I, I, I felt so lucky to be to be part of that effort. So anyway. Well, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing now and, and what you're finding most rewarding about the work you're doing at World Boston. Uh, well, World Boston is uh, hard to describe quickly, but uh, one way to describe it is that it is the Boston entity of the World Affairs Council, uh, which is a national organization. And uh, so we have uh what I like to think of as two sides of the house. Uh, our little tagline is the world in Boston and Boston in the world. So the world in Boston means that we host 
literally hundreds of uh, international visitors who are sent to us by, um, through many steps, but uh, by ultimately our embassies around the world. Um, and these are so-called citizen diplomats who come in groups to uh, look at various topics, whether it's, you know, biotech or um, library management or, or my favorite, we had dance therapy. Like, okay, well, you know, we'll organize that. Um, so we, we put together the programs for, for these uh, visitors. So that's the world in Boston. Boston in the world is uh, what we provide for the community here in Boston um, to foster international engagement and global cooperation. That's our mission. So it's um, many lectures, book talks. Uh, there's a high school um, international affairs tournament, that kind of thing. Uh, so we're, we're small but mighty. We're a very small staff and uh, put on many, many, many events and host many, many people. So um, I, I love that, that we're so dynamic. Uh, I love it that uh, we have, how do I put this? We have pretty high standards. Um, often our visitors and our speakers are, um, as I say, um, you know, international. I mean, really pretty high level. Um, but, you know, we make it happen uh, just as if it were you and me talking. And so I, I love the notion of, you know, producing things on a um, pretty high level of standards with, um, you know, just uh, great ideas and a small number of people. I love it. I mean, it sounds like you're really creating access to people here in Boston to sort of, you know, connect with people who are thinking about these topics internationally and vice versa, people who are living internationally to come here and make these connections. It's, I didn't know a lot about it before um, you first shared that you were there, but it's, mm-hmm. I love the idea of it. And, uh, and it, it sounds also like you were able to, to put some of your own personal you know, interests into it. You know, your background has a mix of you know, working in nonprofits and working internationally. So this is, seems like a... Oh, absolutely. It's, it's perfect. As I said, this is a case where you know, the, the, the skills and the, 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 the mission really align. And I guess part of what uh, I like that I hadn't uh, anticipated was that not only are we bringing in people um, into the community to speak, you know, we have um, national authors often, et cetera, but uh, what's really great is that uh, at least half of this job is connecting international visitors with the community here. So I find myself all the time using, for example, my Lead Boston network uh, or other networks that I have here in Boston. And, and that's really a thrill because I, I love this place. I mean, I'm local produce. I am, I am from here. And uh, that's, that's just very exciting to me. I love, I love that So I want to switch gears yeah. a little bit. Um, we were talking a moment ago about the challenges that you were facing in that particular instance when um, things were moving over to YWCA Boston and I, mm-hmm. I want to sort of think about sort of struggles in, in our efforts for success. And I know that one concern as people are working towards success in their career is the fear of being wrong and making mistakes and failing. So if you could just share a little bit about what you're not good at and, and how do you deal with that? What, what I'm not good at? Um... Well, it's a long list, uh, but top of the list uh, has to be 
numbers and quantitative work. I am just, I, I don't know what the strongest word, I'm just pathetic. I mean, it's really not my thing. So um, strangely enough, what did I do? I went and I got an MBA at one of the more um, finance and, and uh, quant-oriented programs that, that you can find. Um, and, you know, my natural abilities would have uh, really headed me, you know, much more obviously, I suppose, to, I don't know, law school or humanities or something like that. But um, I thought it was really important to be able to deal with these things. And I'm so glad that I did. But I will tell you, that is not an area of strength for me. So I have to um, I have to allow extra time. I have to ask you know, when I'm talking to accountants and, and people who are good at these things, I have to be very, um, uh, very clear all the time. Like, do I really understand this or am I just saying I do? And I have to be bold enough to say, I'm sorry, we have to go through that again so that I really get it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so good. I think such a sign of leadership is actually knowing what you're not like what your strengths aren't, <laughs> which tools are not so strong in your toolbox. And it sounds like you really push yourself by going for that MBA in the more finance focused school. And then of course right. being willing to speak up and say, okay, I think we need to review this again. Um, right. Well, well, trust me, I, I was, I was not, you know, I was not alone in understanding that I'm bad at math. <laughs> I had plenty, plenty of reinforcement throughout my school years uh, to help me understand that I'm really bad at this stuff. Well, so to be recognized as a success at work takes a lot of time and dedication, and it can have an impact both on how much time you're spending in the office and the way it impacts life outside the office. So with that in mind, what does self-care look like for you? Nothing very exotic. I mean, you know, probably the same answers that um, lots of people give. I read once, um, I think it was, I can't remember what it was. So anyway, a profile of some uh, very well-known nonprofit leader in Boston. And uh, she said she likes to think of, of nonprofit leadership as a marathon, not a sprint. And I thought, wow, that is just a wonderful way to look at it. Because I know that if I get, you know, completely exhausted, burned out, et cetera, um, it's, it's not just bad news for me, but it's, it's bad news for my job, too. So, um, I'm, you know, I try to be pretty, pretty conscious of that. That's great. And, and uh, over the last, uh, five years, you know, you've switched positions now you're, you know, with world Boston, um, and even over the last five or 10 years, I mean, you've done a few different things. How has mm-hmm. your professional network grown and are there particular ways you try to nurture those relationships? You know, one of them obviously is lead Boston. That's been, that's been pretty amazing. And, and, and not just, you know, my class, uh, but something that I really, uh, again, didn't anticipate until, uh, until I was in it is that the entire alumni network has been really useful to me. And I do think that there is a connection with, um, alumni across the classes. You know, it's always a, a wonderful moment when you can, if you meet someone you say, Oh, Oh my God, you're lead Boston too. Or, you know, I've even reached out to people because I knew that they were uh, Lee Boston alumni. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that has been really important. 
And uh, I try to uh, stay in touch with people, and uh, I try, and I'm going to regret but I try to go to things. I try to, to show up, uh, you know, whenever I can. You know, if somebody's having a, you know, a talk or a special event or something, um, I think it's really meaningful just to show up. So I, I try to do that. And I'm not a wonderful social media person. Um, I, um, you, you give lessons in that, so you could probably, um, you could probably offer a lot of advice on that score. But, um, uh, you know, all of, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the hard part. I meet amazing people all the time. And, and I mean, it's the nature of the work that, that we do, right? We are out there connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how to stay in touch is always a struggle for me, particularly mm-hmm. if I don't have a project that I'm working on them. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. if you and I don't have a project, then how do we stay connected? And so um, I've tried a few different things. I actually sometimes just throw dinner parties where I invite a colleague to bring three friends and I bring three friends and we nice. sort of have a little dinner out. I, I was doing that regularly and that was a nice way to have a purpose to kind of cross, mm-hmm. you know, connect and, um, and maybe discover mm-hmm. new reasons to stay in touch. Um, but Facebook right. and on LinkedIn, I think are helpful, um, as, as you build these networks, but it is, it is sort of a struggle to figure out how to keep on top it of is. what's going on. As, as you're talking about that, the, um, the, the one that, uh, you know, kind of tugs at my heartstrings is uh, boards that I've sat on, um, not, you know, where I've been an executive director, although that happens too, uh, but, but, you know, where I've been a volunteer. I mean, that, one of the reasons that I love board work is the, the, the sense of, of team that emerges can be really strong. Um, you know, as you're united around a, a common mission and, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's sad looking at, at some of these boards years and years later. Wow. You know, I've really lost touch with, with X or Y person. Um, and I, I regret that I should do a better job <laughs> of keeping, keeping in touch. Perhaps this podcast interview will be uh, a nudge in that direction to to have a little reach out to some of the folks that you've connected with over the years. You're right. This idea of serving in a volunteer capacity can really form some special bonds that, you know, you can, you know, reach out to someone 10 years later and maybe pick up right where you left off because of it. You know, if you were starting over again and you had the chance to like know everything you know now, like if you were able to maybe speak to yourself at 25 years old, you know, and share wisdom Mm -hmm. that you've since learned, is there something in particular, one thing in particular that you would encourage yourself to do to build a strong and supportive professional network? Well, I think I've kind of alluded to it at a couple of points along in here, but um, I think, you know, just, just showing up, uh, you know, they say 80% of success is, is just showing up. But, um, you know, we talk in Lead Boston, for example, a lot about, you know, my vision, my idea, my innovation. And... Um, I don't think that um, all of us are, are blessed with that, um, nor is it required. And, you know, I want to hear a leadership commitment that's about um, joining somebody else's cause. Um, so what I'm getting at is I think I, I, as a young person, maybe spent too much time 
worrying about, you know, what my path was going to be, my innovation, my this, my that. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I have found actually in my um, various roles so far that I've gotten such uh, great fulfillment from joining in and, and sometimes joining in and, and leading, but just joining in. So, you know, if somebody, yeah, so if somebody asks you to go to something where you really admire somebody else, do that. You don't have to, you know, it innovate constantly. I, I think that's a little bit overdone. And I've, I've worked for some very, very old organizations. I mean, you know, United Way is old. Um, and uh, World Boston, for example, is old. And both of them have done, you know, United Way certainly has, has done some incredibly innovative things. But, um, you know, showing up and joining in something that um, is attractive, I think I wish I had uh, understood that earlier. Yeah. I think uh, knowing it's something maybe you've, you've learned along the way, hopefully someone listening can incorporate it a little earlier in their career. You know, if we were to meet a year from now and you and I were talking about what a great year it's been for you, what accomplishments would we be celebrating? Well, you would be uh, celebrating, you know, um, the uh, several millionth listener of your now global podcast. Uh, (laughs) And uh, a year from now... I think, uh, without getting too technical, but there's there's certain program goals that, that we have at World Boston, and so uh, to kind of reuse your language, um, to make some some leaps and bounds forwards in terms of um, improving access to what we do, and thereby, um, just to quote our mission because it's a good one, uh, fostering international engagement and global cooperation. Um, which come to think of it, actually, fostering international engagement, a lot of that involves showing up. Uh, so that's where that's we're here to help people do around international topics. So that's kind of an abstract answer, but great. I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it as the year progresses. I'm going to include your LinkedIn profile on the show notes so folks can find you. I'll also include a link to World Boston and, and of course, Lead Boston. Uh, is there any other uh, work that you're doing currently that you want us to kind of share with folks? I'm really honored um, as an ally to be on the board of Mass Equality. So that's um, that's another thing that's um, important for me. So, yeah. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again, Mary. It's just been a pleasure talking to you and thinking through like what leadership means in the, all these different various ways. And I appreciate you joining us today on the podcast. Well, likewise, thank you so much, Rob. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mary Eintema. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. When discussing what leadership means to her, Mary spoke about recognizing her own strengths and how those strengths may actually hinder her. For example, she is very comfortable speaking up in team meetings and has come to understand that stepping back to see whether, quote, what needs to be said gets said is a leadership skill. This is especially important to consider in a cross-cultural context where misunderstandings and conflict based on miscommunication 
is common. In all contexts, allowing space for your team to brainstorm and come together around a shared vision before sharing your input as a person with positional authority could be the practice you need to get more buy-in from your team. Take a moment for self-reflection, and you too may realize that some of the very characteristics that you've always considered your best strengths could also be hindering your progress as a leader. Another takeaway is that you don't need to specialize to make a difference. As Mary said, she thought it was more important to know how to, quote, drive a desk than specialize. This has allowed her to jump into a leadership role in a variety of contexts without having an expertise in that specific subject area. By building up your skills as a manager, you'll be able to transfer those skills in support of a variety of missions and in different corporate environments. Too often, staff who are highly skilled in a specific job are promoted to a managerial position without the support to help them become highly skilled managers. If you find yourself in this position, be sure to seek out the professional development you need to strengthen your skills as a manager, and don't assume that because you had been good at your specialized job, you automatically be a great manager. Your 10,000 hours as a specialist won't necessarily give you the transferable skills you need for this new role. Likewise, if you've developed great managerial skills, don't feel confined to a specific mission or even to one industry. Allow yourself to be open to new possibilities and explore a more winding career path. As Mary reminds us, not everyone is a social media rock star, so it can be challenging to stay in touch if you aren't currently working together. She's likely not alone when she says she wishes she kept in better touch with former colleagues, especially those she worked with on different boards over the years. One way to keep track of these past connections and know whether you've been in touch with them recently is to use Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing your professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze. This podcast is still in the first eight weeks when we try to get into new and noteworthy on iTunes, so I'm especially grateful to all of you who have already subscribed and left a rating and review. You can find the show on iTunes by visiting itunes.ontheschmooze.com. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Don't forget to include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be talking about my number one networking tip, why croissants are better than bagels. Until then, have an awesome week. Oh, and special thanks and happy belated birthday to Al Day, who shared his talent to create the intro and outro for this podcast. Here he is. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.